Thank you for listening to this programme from the Forever Manchester Radio and Podcast Network. Forever Manchester is a charity that raises money to fund and support community activity across Greater Manchester. Check out forevermanchester.com to find out more. For happy days. For amazing ways. For people who care. For people who dare. For great opportunities. For amazing communities. For a hand up, not a handout. For you. For me. For everybody. Forever Manchester. Let's do something extraordinary. Join the movement. ForeverManchester.com. With me now is Anif Akinola, who's a renowned vocalist, writer, producer, and ex-record label owner. Anif Akinola, hello. Hello, hi, you all right? I'm very well, thank you. I've been reading a quick overview of some of your um, successes, <laughs> and we can I'm sure we can talk about them as we're going along. Let's start by finding out a little bit about Anif, maybe pre-music. Okay. Where are you, a Manchester lad? Ironically, I was actually born in Margaret Thatcher's constituency in Dulwich. I came to Manchester when I was two. My parents brought me here. And I was very happy. I think I was very happy. We lived in Hardwick, um, you know, by the Plymouth Grove pub, where we lived in a sh- uh, road called what used to be called Hyde Grove down there. Had a seven-bedroom house. We owned it. Five bought it for 500 quid. We had Irish living with us um, and other couples and stuff like that. We used to rent out rooms. I absolutely loved that house. In that house, I can remember the first ever song I remember singing, She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, by the Beatles. I was born 62. I must have was there. I must have been about... Four. Right. I remember walking along the hallway, banging along the side of the stairs. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean and stuff. And that, yeah, I, you know, remember it vividly. So, um, great memories living around in Hardwick and been in Manchester ever since. Lived in Longside, other parts of Hardwick. We've had various flats over near the old bus depot um, on Ashton Old Road, and then lived over in Hume, and then I'm now in, in living Old Trafford. So yeah, so you know, Manchester's always you know went to Burnage High School, was three years above the Gallagher and stuff as he's a broom know his brother and all that lot and mm-hmm. so you know Birchfield's primary school tell me about Birchfield primary school what's your memories of oh, primary wow, school you picked, so, you, do, do you know Birchfield's then uh, no but I'm just fascinated with our guests and, and their primary sort of their the early years oh, but, fascinating. Well, I, I, you know it was really look it's a great school for me um I remember the first day not liking it as you, you you're supposed to but then just expanding and growing into it. My mum used to work at uh, Smith's Chris. Oh, a lot of my family worked in the food factories. I'd bring in swag bags full of food. I'd be selling them out of a black bin bag. I'm sure you had black bin bags there. <laughs> back in the and, day? Yeah, back in the day. So you used to do Smith's Crisps. My uncle used to do Jubblies and stuff. So by the time it gets to school, it melted. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, the bees used to hover around you. The minute you had a jubbly, you're like, you're covered in bees and stuff. Yeah. You used to be like sucking on an iceberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back it was, in the it was. Day. Yeah. You'd have a white brick left at the end you know what I mean and if you're dead going with your teeth it'd be like you know brain freezes so you were basically running a bit of a supply chain in the school yeah. playground yeah a bit of an entrepreneur in the playground and stuff you know and uh, loved school played football there uh, played with a, a fabulous teacher called Mr Dolby um, I think he lives at Cheadle now and uh, was on a school team and never made it to get into um, the counties and all that like you know uh, good old winger could bang a few in and stuff like that and um, first ever game I went to was Cities but I didn't become a City fan thank goodness Oh, imagine if that had happened. Oh, 
<laughs> uh, you know, went to City and um, I think her name's Anne with the bell in the kip hat. She used to sit there, you know, and ring that bell. And it was like, wow, you know what I mean? Back at Main Road. Ended up a United fan and full-on armchair supporter. But I was with them when I went into Division 2. I had to take the stick when I went into, you yeah. know, in the playground. You're in Division 2. I rolled it out. You know what I mean? So I deserve all the glory we've had. Of course you do, mate. Sport at school, did you play it? Actively play? Did you play for the school team? Um, yeah, played for the school team, uh, Birchfields. And then um, even leaving Birchfields, uh, went to Burnage High School. Uh, you know what? I think... I, I got a couple of games on on the thing. I was, I was like the reserve, reserve. You know what I mean? And uh, I, but I got on basketball team. I think I was the only black guy on the swimming team. I actually got the school tie. I'm most chuffed about it. I still got the school colours awarded in assembly. And we used to go to Withington Bass and stuff like that. And uh, we used to swim against De La Salle, Manchester Graham and all them lot and stuff. Did all right. And badminton. I loved badminton. Uh, well, I still got my Carlton. My Carlton 3.7X racket. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it all dusty these well, days? Well, yeah, it's all dusty. I, I, it's not, I, I restrung it without the cat gut. You know what I mean? Because it had to have the cat. It got really serious on the old badminton front. You know what I mean? And I've got a layout to a guy called Danny Graham, who I played every day for two years in the hall during dinner time. So we'd get two games in minimum. I never beat him once, never took one set off him ever. But he kept playing with me. And it's a, what I kind of think is what happened. He did well. He was fit, but I got a lot better. And also I learned to keep trying and challenging you know what I mean so, so to me that's a great because you know sometimes they kind of say they don't want kids to lose but sometimes losing isn't bad no. if you're having an enjoyment it's not losing you're having fun you know that's what I mean right. and stuff so um, you know I want to big him up for playing with me every day you, you were know, the greyhound he was yeah. the hare yeah, yeah. the greyhound never catches the hare mate no no it doesn't especially at Bellevue racetrack it does. some <laughs> fellas are still still can't fathom it you know what I mean and they've tried to nobble the air as well <laughs> moving out of education did you go further education oh, oh what are you doing here Terry Oh God! All right, if I go all the colleges, see this is why I'm a big supporter of you know I, I think education should be for free. You know I, I got to found myself. I met lots of people, and I'm still connected with those people around, and those people kind of know me, know what I've done, and say, Alif, can you come and do this? Yeah, I'll do it. And we generate work for one another. So here we go. I went to the Toast Rack, right. Hollins College. I wanted to. I started that fashion. That was after getting kicked out of doing my A levels. Then I ended up at Salford Polytechnic. Uh, before they all tried to brand themselves as universities, they're still polytechnics as far as I'm concerned. And I went to Openshaw to do shorthand typing Brilliant. and short uh, for a bit. And then I went to St. John's. And then I ended up at Wivenshaw redoing my A-levels and, and stuff. And then I ended up at Manchester Polytechnic. I was doing a law degree. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't finish my law degree. I ended up in the music business. That was around 1985. So I've travelled many a college and many a technic in Manchester. Did the world of Anif Akinola's um, education move straight into the music world of music, or well, did, was it, there any jobs along the way? Did what was your first job? Uh, uh, first ever, re- well, I used to wash cars. I used to get uh, twenty five. No, on the ma- Longsite Market, fifty p a day with Ron. Anyone who knows Ron, he had the biggest stall, etc. Cheapest. Cheapest tat on the planet. Oh my god! Well, yeah, and paid the least. You know, I got, I, the fact I got you know fifty. I was there at seven thirty and left at seven fifty p a day. Yeah, uh, uh, Ron, and then I got another job at uh, Mister Singh's Car Wash, which was on Stockport Road in front of um, Longside Police Station, right on Stocky Road. And then it went to luxury when I got a five pound a day job at a car wash just up near Fallowfield. No, you know, at the junction there, there used to be a petrol station. Same cars, ten times more. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Same okay. cars. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> you know that that that, well, that was great. My then ended up working at petrol station. I worked in the first ASDA in Longsight. That was the first ASDA outside of Leeds. And so I did checkouts there for about three years. Remember losing my glasses, blind as a bat, couldn't see anything. You know what I mean? And and I used to scan the shopping. I was kind of <laughs> past my eyeball. You know what I mean? And so, but what was great, Terry, was that um, you know the old ladies used to be there, and I'd be. What's that? Oh, I can't see that. Hold on. 50 pence. And you see them like, say I put like six cans of, you know, can of meat in, in, in the thingy for the dog and like, not only pay for one, he loved it. You know what I mean? But so I, you were the best checkout in Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the Mackie was always the biggest. Get the blind one. Get the blind one. You know what I mean? The, but, you know, I, I was being a, I've always been a socialist. You know what I mean? Spread the wealth for me. You know what I mean? How did you get involved in music? Music was through all this time kind of having this backdrop of going to clubs. You know what I mean? My first club we used to go to, I used to go to our bestest going town which was um, Piccadilly 261 it was Mike Shaft and stuff 1979 yeah. and stuff New Century oh yeah under, kind of under 18 so we went down there and then I just loved clubbing you know uh, well I didn't, I didn't really notice clubbing I just wanted to go out and obviously meet girls and stuff like that and then I, how I got into music I kept going to clubs a lot of the time and then um, I got introduced to a guy called uh, it was a DJ Colin Curtis who um, I used to annoy him by, I used to get out of the club really because I didn't want to pay to get in because I'm stingy like that and um, but I just, really I just wanted to dance more and then um, and then I he would give me a lift home at night and I'd tell him oh why did you play this record why did you play that and I'll sometimes go and he'd see my face and then he said you know what I need to introduce you to someone because we used to talk about music on the drop he used to drop me home in June and then uh, a couple of weeks later he, he introduced me to a guy called Colin Thorpe and uh, Colin Thorpe was a, a musician who done punk bands and such and such and I think he worked for the Manchester housing office in Moss Side, and he, he, you know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't do me, wouldn't have done been in the music business. He just came and said, "All right, come round to my house, and then we'll have a, you know, jam about." I've got no, I still got no musical training, so I can't play guitar, can't play piano, don't know chords, everything's in by ear. You know what I mean? I'll hum it, sing it, I'll, you know, I'll smash glasses, whatever, to make the noise that I hear in my head. And somehow I get there, I've been, you know, and it, it's, it's worked. And I was fortunate that computers came along at, at that time. So me and Colin, we started up a little thingy and he just allowed me to use him. And, and it kind of worked, you know, I went out and discovered artists and, you know, I, I just then got involved in kind of the Manchester music scene saying, oh, you're good. And then it was listening to stuff on tapes on the radio and artists and stuff like that. And then kind of saying, this song doesn't work, that song. And it's just having an ear. I think it's just having an ear and gut feeling. So it just built from, literally yep. just built from... That, from me dancing, there was no set plan like I'm going into the music business because, you know, I was I was, I, you know, I was thinking about being a lawyer, you know what I mean? Ray Sips, a lock with non-factum, ratio decidendi, you know what I mean, and stuff. And, uh, you know, and I ended up writing rap lyrics in the library, failing me public law and stuff, you know what I mean? And, you know, but, you know, I, I, I look back with great joy with it, you yeah. know what I mean? Well, it's a proper story, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that progress into full on music? Yeah, how did you get? What happened? Well, well, well. What, what we did? Well, because we're in Manchester, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a bit. I, I don't like begging people for things. You know what I mean? So a lot of guys, she said, "Oh, we need to get a deal in London. You need to get a deal." And me and Colin was like, "Okay." And Colin comes from a punk background, so that's kind of that DIY mentality. So that was great for me. And it was um, in that we just did things, and then some guys from Liverpool got in touch, which was called Peter Lee, who ran a record label called Ram, and he set up the labels. Specifically to do this kind of stuff. He was into kind of more indie stuff, but he saw the whole dance thing coming across, and it was also a socialist. So you've got this kind of people who've got a political 
There was a lot more politics involved in music across the whole plethora, be it punk, be it even rock, you know, go to indie, had a lot of it and stuff. And, you know, uh, we're in harder times, you know what I mean? Yeah. And stuff. So, um, you know, those who have like-minded or put out that thing, you get people in contact. So he got in touch with us and said, look, I wanted to look for artists and, and did. And it used to go through Red Rhino, the cartel and all the independent distribution networks. And he basically, he let me and Colin just go in a studio, Mike Harding's old studio, which is uh, called uh, Moonraker, yeah, which was. is now called Red Rose. And uh, we'd go in late at night because you couldn't afford the day rate. You know what I mean? It was like 250 quid a for a day. day. Um, and that was without an engineer. So, you know, you'd go in at, after 12 and we just work but a lot of it we actually bought bits of equipment and we started home studioing whereby you know we'd have a keyboard which would have a um, sequencer in it and we could work there so you could do a lot of the yeah, prep yeah, work which, that's why outside of yeah, the studio time which is which was which is i think led to i think the Atari computer and a guy called Mike, well, he goes under the name Mike Hunter, who developed a crack of a certain program. And he went to Salford University. That's all I've found out. And I'd love anyone who knows him, um, RCA crack. That particular little bit of software emancipated somebody because you could get an Atari for less than 100 quid. You know what I mean? They were a disused old um, gaming computer, but it had MIDI on. With that software, piece of software, you then were able to have a full-on 24-track MIDI sequencing thing. So you then have to just bolt on cheap little Yamaha keyboard and you could record it, then record it down to a four-track and you got a track then you could take it into a studio. Right. So as a result of having that cheap availability, it allowed the UK dance thing to come up. And indie, because, you know, a lot of indie bands, you know, like New Orders and stuff, they were using all that stuff. And the minute they got a deal, they'd buy more expensive stuff. But... I actually do think there's not enough credence given to that moment in time as to what was the early seedlings of allowing why we became such a powerhouse in world music, you know what I mean, at, at that time. Because, yeah. you know, the whole dance thing was going, well, we see, now it's still ongoing. America's gotten into dance. Yeah, and, it has, you know, yeah. There was probably lots of little seed stories simultaneously going on at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you look at um, Stone Roses, they, you know, they, they, the sample there, you know, um, it, it was a sample in, in, in a sampler, an, an S950, most probably used on an Atari, you know what I mean? But that ability then, they brought a tradition where they put guitars and maybe Remy's put some drums on it. That brought a new sound and a new energy. Happy Mondays and stuff. And they were all going to the clubs that I would go. They, you know, whether you went to Legends, whether you went, you know, someone might go to DeVille's, um, you go to Berlin's or, you know, all the different, you know, Strawberries, Rubinsky's, 42nd Street. I was in all of them. Truthfully, on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I rested because, you know, on the black music side, those clubs were open at the weekend because a lot of the black kids, when they went into clubs, they didn't drink enough beer. So the owners gave the, the <laughs> other nights out to, you know what I mean, right. to subsidise it. So they do good money during the week. So the weekend was pure profit for them, you know what I mean, and stuff. But kind of the black music nights I like, they didn't happen at the weekend. It was rafters I used to go to. That was 1981 to 83. And that was the last time I used to go up till God, I'm trying to think. The gallery. Oh yeah. Well, the gallery, which was that was always synonymous thingy. That was that was a Saturday night club, but that was about the only one on a Saturday night in Saturday Manchester. Night, yeah. So it was rammed. But that, in a way, aided the the spread and love and generation of 
um, niches and genres. That's when house music first came, and that's another thing I get into about the whole thing of house. Because but me doing a guy called Gerald, I watched house music come in 1984. You know, we're having arguments online now with people from London saying 88 and all this assume lot, and we're going, no, the first records landed in spinning on Cross Street. Colin Curtis, Mike Schaff, um, they were all playing them because they were they were the main DJs. They would get their records for free, and those house records got played. Yeah, you know what I mean. And the played. pluggers would be making sure those guys got those records. Oh yeah, absolutely. As and First, when they were released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, honestly, I saw some arguments or some daggers, dagger eye looks go because someone had, you know, inadvertently got something that wasn't in their bag. And it was a good record, and that would be, you know, that was a coup d'etat, you know what I mean? Yeah, they'd get it two weeks later, but the damage had been done, you know what I mean, and stuff. So the, the guys in the record shop, they oh, they, 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 they were like, you know, in fact, they could sort out Brexit because the, the diplomacy that they had to conduct, <laughs> you know what I mean, they, you know, would be brilliant. Tell me about Chapter and the Verse. Oh, Chapter and the Verse, that was um, me and Colin, and um, we formulated a name because chapter and verse we decided it to be chapter was me and colin and the verse was almost anyone who featured who did the verses you know what i mean so we were conceptualizing the featuring thing you know what i mean and it, one of the things was that because colin came from a punk background you know normally you have a group it's like well it's gotta be we're all tight we're all in the room together he said nah well if you're gonna do other things that's cool so that's the early stages of collaboration you know what i mean which is now how a lot of music is done nowadays and because you didn't try and lock down a group the pressure wasn't there so artists felt because you've got artists who are trying to make a career out of it and if you know they might like your music, but they might think you re- you haven't got a manager, you never turn up, you thingy, and such and such and such and such. How am I going to be justify me putting this amount of time into it? You know what I mean? But because we said, well, we're not the only thing you have to do, well, I think we got that people would like us, you know what I mean, and go in, you know, come in with us and stuff like that. It was our strength was in our flexibility, you know what I mean, and stuff. So, um, so we had different artists become the verse, and um, so we did uh, producing. We worked first, which was we were going out through Ram Records. Then was Gary Buchanan. We did first. Then I think we did a. I think we might have done a song. Alice and Evan 2 and then I think we did a song with a guy called Grand Groove and then I discovered Gerald because I was listening on the radio and um, Stu Allen played this uh, a tape uh, on the radio by this guy called Housemaster G and I went what the I got on my bike rode all the way down to Piccadilly where was I living I was living um, living in Hume then <laughs> and uh, rode all the way down to Piccadilly and went, wow, 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 wow. I need that tape of Stu Allen. He just played it. And, and, and it wasn't Voodoo Ray or none of them traps. Or it was just, I just heard a sound that sounded amazing. I couldn't believe a kid from Moss Eye had done this. He said, oh, it's this guy called Housemaster G. He's given me. I had a phone number on it, luckily, Terry. You know what I mean? Otherwise, I'd been, you know, I'd been stuck to find him. No internet them days, remember. Right, so no. we're, t- we're talking 1988. And then, you know, I went round to his house, met him, said, look, I want to bring in the studio. And said, yeah, all right, in a couple of weeks. And so kept going back, popping in, listening session. And one day I heard, I came, oh, come and have a listen to this. Play me the bass line for Voodoo Ray. He had no vocals on then or anything, but I was like, oh my God, this, you know, doom, 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 doom. And I, you know, I've even got, I've even got a unique picture of him when he was in his loft. And, you know, I mean, absolutely amazing producer. You know, obviously went on and did 808 State, Pacific State and all that lot as well. Yeah, so it, it was like that. It was very, very get on your bike and get there and talk to people. And, you know, there wasn't any texting. There wasn't any WhatsApping. There wasn't any, you know, I mean, all of this. Yeah, you had so to, you had to run around. Yeah, you had to run around. Yeah. Tell me about, well, we might as well talk about Voodoo Ray. Since yeah. we've, since we've yeah. hit that mark in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. 
Did you co-write that song? Yeah. Did you co-produce? I wrote the I wrote the vocal. The little bit ooh ah ha yeah because the actual the voodoo rays from uh, Monty Python um, the big voodoo mama goes into a voodoo rage. I've actually got that record, actually. I've actually got the record that <laughs> right. they sampled it off and stuff and thinking. But, um, yeah, the, because it was in the studio. We had that looped up. We didn't... Um, I can't remember. I think the Voodoo Rage was on it. It was triggering that. And I kept thinking it needs something else because, you know, just Voodoo Rage. Voodoo Rage. Dum, 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 dum. The girl was actually in the booth trying to sing. This is Nicola. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, who, who I still say to this day, I do not care. Gerald, after her, got other amazing singers, but none of them can sounded like her. And she wasn't the best singer in the world, but sometimes it's the voice that just makes the yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sean McGowan on. You know, who could sing Sean McGowan Christmas in New York? <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, sometimes it's just the song and the voice. come. Well, anyhow, nothing was coming out. She wanted to sing like um, Anita Baker. She was a soul singer. So doing this house stuff, you've got to remember there's a lot of people who are still resistant about house then. You know what I mean? And stuff. And um, at the time, there was a guy going off at the time called Boy George, who was yeah. doing really well at the time. I thought, oh, what would Boy George say? And he goes, ooh, ah, ah, yeah. You know, because he, Boy George wasn't a great singer, but he'd kind of use his kind of melancholy. So I came back in and sing this, ooh, ah, ah, yeah. Everyone went, oh. So Lee, Colin, uh, even Gerald went, I like that. It resonated with her. She just sang it in a way where it just sounded like, wow. Then it, the AR, uh, that's it. Re- that's the same phrase reversed in a sampler. You know what I mean? AR, it's just the same fa- phrase reversed in a sampler. That's how <laughs> we did. So and that was it done then. So we were just all like, wow. And um, yeah, we got it out. And I remember giving. We got the white labels done, and me giving copies to Hewan. He he was. Um, I think he had some specials where he played in the Hacienda. I gave it to Pickering and stuff, and uh, we played it at the gallery, and it just went. It just was going off. You know what I mean? And that was the. the but records took a lot longer to to happen yeah, then. But classic tune. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I remember. I remember Gabrielle dreams come true. Gabrielle came to Manchester with the song to certain guys producers, with that song. It had the original Tracy Chapman sampling. And um, 18 months later, then it ended up as a number one. But 18 months, it yeah. was around and, you know what I mean, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Hence the reason why you're rowing on the internet at the moment about 1984 versus 1988. Well, well yeah, well, people don't realise the time frame, do they? You no. know what I mean? I, I, and stuff. I, I really do wish uh, someone actually could put the missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle for house music, which was 84 to, well, they say 88, because 88 is when the acid arrived and it took on its own different form, you know what I mean, and stuff. So, um, yeah, but um, interesting times and, you know, and, you know, you you were independent. We weren't going to London to try and get a deal because I remember actually phoning a guy and saying, look, this was pre-Voodoo Ray, and uh, I said to him, um, we're doing house, and that guy was an A&R guy, London guy, he run the record level. Uh, he says, oh, I think House is going to die in six months, mate. And we just played a, one of our tracks, or, uh, a track me and Colin had done in the gallery Saturday night, done really well, and I was really excited, and you know, that enthusiasm and stuff like that. And, and it says, six months, it's going to die. That guy then, after Voodoo Ray, uh, a year and a half later, he went, he, he was spotted in the studio, he went and did the song, Acid! He's called Danny D. He now looks after Stargate, who writes songs for Neo, Beyonce, Jay-Z, um, Usher, and stuff like that. You know, he, he, I absolutely love telling that story because, you know, he said House is only going to last six months. Yeah. But, you know, he's a great friend and, you know, he's a, he's a great producer. He's the one who's discovered Kathy Dennis as well. Can I have a drink? Yeah, I'm going to have a slurp of everything. That just about brings us to the end of part one of our chat, but there is much more in part two. 
Thank you for listening to this programme from the Forever Manchester Radio and Podcast Network. Forever Manchester is a charity that raises money to fund and support community activity across Greater Manchester. Check out forevermanchester.com to find out more.